my fellow plebs, River is setting a new standard in Bitcoin. At river.com, you'll pay zero fees when you dollar cost average. Truly the best way to build your Bitcoin wallet. All Bitcoin at River is held in secure cold storage with 100% full reserves. There's no need to wonder what's happening behind the scenes. Your Bitcoin is your Bitcoin to withdraw at any time. Additionally, River lets you make Bitcoin payments via the Lightning Network, offers a Lightning integration for developers, and allows you to mine Bitcoin directly to your River account. River has a level of service that is unheard of in this industry, including phone support, private client advisors, and the ability to designate beneficiaries to inherit your Bitcoin wealth. River has become the premium name in Bitcoin that anyone can easily access. Sure, you have a place to buy Bitcoin, but have you tried River? See and feel the difference at River.com and the River iOS app, the preferred partner of Bitcoin Magazine. My fellow plebs, today's podcast is also brought to you by Moon Mortgage. As the world moves increasingly towards the mainstream adoption of Bitcoin and other digital assets, Moon Mortgage makes it possible to materialize your assets into real estate. Through the collateralization of mortgages with Bitcoin and other digital assets, Moon Mortgage will be launching lending solutions to allow investors to easily leverage their assets to purchase investments in owner-occupied property. Moon Mortgage's crypto mortgage will be launching soon for home buyers in Texas, Florida, and Colorado, and will also be open to investors in most states across the U.S. for investment properties. Welcome to the future of mortgages. Visit moonmortgage.com today to register and learn more. Moon Mortgage Residential is registered with the NMLS under number 235334. What is up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of FedWatch, your home for Bitcoin and macro. I am joined, as always, by my co-host, CK. How are you doing? The man, the myth, the legend. What's up? Thank you. I'm doing great. Bitcoin's ripping. I'm feeling bullish. It is ripping. We're going to talk about the Bitcoin big breakout. We're also going to talk about US CPI this week, try to break down and make sense of that. And then the EU regulations, they're trying to already... I guess preemptively crack down on banks owning Bitcoin. So if that guy, if that sounds interesting to you guys, like, subscribe, share this content, make a comment down below if you're watching on YouTube or on Rumble, so other people can find the channel. Um, with that out of the way, do you have any admin notes up front, CK? You want to talk about the conference? The Bitcoin conference, y'all, 91 days away from Bitcoin 2023, Miami Beach, Florida, May 18th through the 20th. Be there or be a no-coiner, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, we'll talk about that a little bit more, but we have a lot of awesome speaker announcements coming. And, uh, of course, I got to show the newest issue of Bitcoin Magazine. So calling out the media, calling out the corrupt crypto frauds, calling out Sam Bankman-Fried on the cover. We got some incredible art from Marcus Connor on the back. You guys need to get this piece of Bitcoin history, so don't miss out. Great, great stuff. Amazing quality. It's incredible. Looks awesome, man. Yeah, guys, check out BitcoinandMarkets.com for me so you can uh, follow all my content. Uh, also, the Telegram is popping over there. Uh, T.me forward slash Bitcoin and Markets and get in there and talk about Bitcoin macro all day long. So uh, check that out. Okay. Any other uh, upfront notes, CK? No, let's get into the price. 
All right, man. Let's go to slide number one, please, Chris. Wait, I guess, hey, real quick, while yeah. we're on Bitcoin and markets, you know, maybe yeah. we should talk about your uh, your premium tier just because uh, you've been forecasting uh, pretty much ev every step of uh, this price action for the last few weeks here on point. Oh, we'll get into that. We'll get, we'll get into that for sure. Uh, we, we have a few uh, weekly slides here so we can show what you get over there on BitcoinandMarkets.com. Oh my God, who put this in here? This is Peter Zion. Has anybody checked on Peter lately? He's he put the you know remember he went Can on. He called the bottom. He pretty much called the bottom. Uh, yeah, seventeen thousand. He said it should be worth negative a thousand. Um, so also this slide, uh, this image or screen grab, whatever it is, uh, Chris producer Chris sent me, and it says there in the fine print like Powell wants to take the balance sheet down to zero, but that's a pretty unpopular opinion with Wall Street, and I'm like. Man, that's wrong for so many reasons, Peter. I mean, he just needs to stay out of macro forecasting. Stick to the demographics and the geopolitics and let other people talk about Bitcoin and macro. Okay, now for real, let's go to slide number two, please. So this is two weeks ago, what we talked about on the show. And you can see we had this divergence we were talking about and the arrow prediction. If you go to the next slide, Chris. This then was last week, and we saw that the price was starting to come down. We had RSI resetting down to the neutral 50. And now this week, if you go to the next slide, this week we reset at 50, bounced right back up off this important level set from early in the year, and we are breaking out. You can tell this was taken early this morning already. Um, but CK, next slide is the one I want to get your, your uh, input on. So these are some important levels looking back over the last eight, nine months. Uh, the, you know, the one that we bounced off of uh, recently was the FTX high. And now this one is going back even further than that, uh, back to the August high. And we did tick above that. So we have set a new nine-month high. Uh, so what are your thoughts on the Bitcoin price here, CK? Yeah, I mean... Uh... It, it seems like there's nothing but hot air in front of us. So uh, I'm, I'm very interested to see, you know, how much of this price action is kind of tied to uh, recent events in Bitcoin uh, with the mempool uh, filling up due to uh, ordinals and inscriptions uh, or whether the crackdown on exchanges and staking is something that has to do with it or whether this is just uh, you know, this price action was coming regardless, and it was just a matter of, of time, you know, with us bottoming and in these different levels support and, and, uh, and resistance, if you know, it was just a matter of time that we were going to make this move regardless of the fundamentals. So I'm curious what you think is, yeah. is uh, the driving factor behind this as well. Yeah, well, I think we're bound to make this move based on Bitcoin's fundamentals, its cycles, you know, the having and, and all of that. Uh, but all those events that you mentioned are just going to add fuel to the fire on the upside. So this, this upcoming bull market is going to be pretty intense. I think, uh, if you go to the next slide, Chris, this kind of shows what I'm looking at for these cycles. So this is the 50 week moving average on the weekly chart. And if you go back to early 2019, right around the same time of the year, I think it might've been March or so, but, um, we, 
popped right above the 50-week moving average and really did that pre-COVID rally up to 14,000. And right now we're sitting, uh, once again, right at that 50-week moving average. Uh, if you go to the next slide, I just did this for fun. So I took what happened there after we broke the 50-week moving average and I plotted it onto the end right now. And you can see it takes about six to eight weeks to get up to the top. And this the, the pink line here is without the wicks. So the top of the pink line gets up to 52,000 roughly, uh, but the wicks would get up to about 60,000. And man, if we follow that same pattern we did back in 2019, you know, we're looking at going into April above 50,000. So what are your thoughts on this CK? I mean, above 50,000 going into the conference, 91 days yeah. away. That yeah. is, that sounds awesome. I'm That's here some for good it. marketing. <laughs> that, that would help my life out quite a bit. But uh, I don't know. Uh, I, I said there's, there's nothing but hot air above us. You know, I felt like we, we lost 40K very, very quickly on some fundamental bad news and a lot of negative things happening in the Bitcoin markets. Uh, I don't think all of that is necessarily over yet, but maybe it's been priced in. Maybe Genesis has been priced in. Maybe Grayscale has been priced in. I'm curious to hear what you think about GBDC, you know, kind of returning back to all-time low discount. Um, but mm. yeah, I mean, it could happen. Like you've been right so far. So who am I to doubt you? But uh, I mean, that would be wild if we just continue marching upwards from here. It would be wild and it would breed a lot of FOMO out there. I don't know about GBDC. I haven't been following the discount on that product. I, I'm kind of waiting for it to turn back into a premium because then, you know, you have this uh, almost risk-free trade that they can uh, scalp uh, profit off of. And that pushes the price up because more Bitcoin is being siphoned off and being pushed into GBTC. Um, so we'll see. We'll see how that that happens. I don't know much about. The, Do you think people will, will will participate in the cash and carry trade after GBTC visited a forty percent discount to NAV mm. uh, and and exposed investors to so much pain, institutional investors to so much pain over the last two years? I mean, I think so. Uh, it's almost risk free, right? It's not. They, they can. They can that uh, six, buy that six month lockup. Ain't <laughs> it wasn't risk free for a few people. True, true, but um, you can hedge it on the other side. So all, all it is is a matter of time before you can get your profit. So yeah, that the premium is has some built-in FOMO to it. Uh, so when that happens, that that will definitely be a trigger. Like, hey guys, this is about to go up big time when that goes back into premium. But yeah, I'm not following that too closely. I'm curious what the listeners think about Bitcoin price, about GBTC, about this market. Yeah. Are we going to 56K in the next month and a half? Uh, that's, again, <laughs> I'm just used to bear mode. So that that just feels absolutely wild to me. Can we go back to the chart really quick, Chris? Because I, I want to just point out, um, I want to point out uh, really kind of what we've been talking about the last few weeks. You know, uh, prior to this little bump up here past 25K, uh, you know, there was first the run up kind of path from 16K up. Uh, mm -hmm. And we did talk about like, hey, you know, it's overheated. RSI is too hot. Um, and we're going to test support again before making a move up. And, you know, that was pretty much exactly forecasted. 
Yeah, uh, Chris, if you can go slide number four, that's that will show that. Um, this is the daily chart. And I, that little tiny circle there on the candle is where we hit that really high daily RSI, where it was a super overheated. Uh, and then it formed a bearish divergence over the next week or so. And then it came back down. And that, that point where it hit that super high RSI, where that circle is, that is what acted as support on the, the downtrend. And it has bounced off of that. So, I mean, this is very technically like obvious. I think a lot of people that are technical analysts will come on to here and say, man, I mean, this was right in front of your face. So um, yeah, it's Bitcoin has been nice to us lately. Now, another thing, I don't have a slide for this, but the S&P 500 has not followed Bitcoin here. Now, is Bitcoin decoupling? I don't, I don't think it is. I think Bitcoin is leading. So I think that this Bitcoin pump is going to turn into a stock market pump here over the next week or so. Any thoughts on the correlation or the decoupling of these things? You know, uh, on a Bitcoin and a recent Bitcoin magazine pro spaces that we had with Dylan LeClaire last mm -hmm. week, uh, I actually asked him about this, that Bitcoin is not only correlated with, uh, let's just call it risk assets and equities, but it's, it's actually been performing almost like a leading indicator and in what he thought about that. Um, so I definitely think that that is something that is part of the narrative around Bitcoin and part of the narrative around uh, where Bitcoin fits into the current economic framework and paradigm. Um, but yeah, I mean, that seems to be the case right now. And I would say like that this proves that Bitcoin is the ultimate economic indicator, that it is yes. the freest, truest market. And that's probably why it is leading. Yeah. Uh, and you always say that, you know, it's about efficient price signals and that this proves, you know, if Bitcoin is always leading and Bitcoin is setting the trend, that that's where everything gets priced in first because it is so efficient at setting price. And that could be a huge uh, narrative. It could be a huge meme that Bitcoin is the efficient price mechanism in the, in the world. Um, so yeah, that's very interesting. That's the future of Bitcoin, y'all, is is perfect price communication. So that's why yeah. we need it as the unit of account. So that way we can operate better. That is the thesis here. Yep. Okay, let's go on to a couple currencies or the dollar, really. So the next slide, uh, Chris here, yep, is the DXY. This is, of course, the narrow dollar index against the major currencies, mostly against the euro, but you have the yen and the pound in there as well. And you can see it's breaking out. Um, I don't have the moving average on here, but the 50-day moving average pretty much converged right with this red line, right as we were breaking out just the last couple days. So it is breaking the 50-day moving average. It's breaking this downward trend and going up into blue skies here. Now, I don't think that we're going to revisit a dollar wrecking ball scenario. I think we're going to just... Uh, you know, get a little bit stronger dollar here and a little bit weaker other currencies. If you go to the next slide, the, it is, this is the broad trade weighted dollar. So this includes important currencies like the Chinese Yuan, Mexican peso, Canadian dollar, the, these ones that are weighted, you know, by how much we trade with them. And these red boxes that I kind of highlighted uh, are if, you know, I talked about how Bitcoin could repeat 2019, 
I've also talked about in the recent past about how I feel that the next kind of recession or the next kind of uh, credit crisis is going to look a lot like the repo market crisis of 2019. And so maybe macro in general is going to look a lot like 2019. So if you look at that for the dollar, you know, the dollar strengthened and it just slowly moved up over a pretty much a two year period. Um, it slowly moved higher. So I think we could see something like that uh, happen with the dollar. And a lot of people think a strong dollar is bad for Bitcoin, but that's not the case. Okay. Bitcoin does really, really well in these kind of uh, slowly higher dollar times where there's this reflation in the global economy, um, a little bit less risk out there. Uh, and Bitcoin has performed very well during those periods. Just look at 2019 on this chart and remember what Bitcoin was doing in 2019 uh, that I showed on the last couple charts. So uh, Bitcoin does well during these times. Any comments yeah, on the gonna, dollar? I, I was just going to ask you, what do you make of Bitcoin and the dollar kind of breaking out simultaneously? They've both been kind of trending down simultaneously, but yeah, uh, yeah what do you make of the of them moving up together? Um, well, I think that the dollar kind of breaking out here and re-entering into like a, a slightly higher range, which I, I've been talking about, uh, this is just, it's, it's a continuation of older move, uh, in the dollar. So if you look at that, where it kind of bottomed in early 2021 and it came up, uh, it had a little bit of a blow off top with the dollar wrecking ball and now it's reset. So this is a continuation of a higher dollar move, but in Bitcoin, this is a reversal off of a bear market. So they are separate and there are, are different. They just happen to coincide right now. Now, overall, a lot of times what I like to tell people is zoom out, since you know all of bitcoin's history bitcoin obviously goes up in these cycles in these stair steps and that's exactly what the dollar does as well since in that time it's just slightly off so the dollar usually rallies before bitcoin um but there, there is a relationship there and we could get into that it's a kind of a long drawn out uh, thesis on a deflationary pressure in the economy and how that leads people to go migrate to bitcoin um, but people can subscribe at bitcoinmarkets.com for more of that kind of content. Definitely, definitely. I mean, hey, I think it's fascinating, and uh, this space is so complex. Uh, it's difficult to match up reality with the predominant narrative. So uh, it's interesting to kind of just see these different trends play out. Absolutely. Uh, there are. I, let's go to the next slide because this is one thing that I've been using as a proxy to help me, I guess, time the dollar a little bit. This is the Hong Kong dollar. Yeah, we've been talking about this a lot. Yep. So the top is a peg or this range is a peg between these two red lines. And when it's at the top of the peg, that means it's there's some dollar stress or there's a strong dollar. If it's at the bottom of this range, that means that, you know, the Hong Kong dollar is stronger than the US dollar. There's less dollar stress. And I kind of predicted that this would come up to the top of the range when we saw a breakout in the dollar. And that's exactly what we've seen here. Uh, the, so this is a proxy that I use uh, kind of summing up East Asia, all these East Asian economies and the, the dollar stress out there. So this has this matches very well with a dollar breakout and you know, pretty much confirms that this is 
a dollar breakout in my mind. So that's all the currencies I have, but I do have a ton of commodities. Should we run through these real quick? Just real quick, can you can you just explain to any new listener, you know, how this peg works and uh, what does it mean when uh, you know really the Hong Kong dollar is up against the top of this range? Yeah. So um, when the dollar here is against the top of the range, that means the Hong Kong dollar is weak because you know, the number here is going up. So more Hong Kong dollars per dollar, per US dollar. And um, what the monetary authority, the Hong Kong monetary authority is what they're called. What they do is they will then sell dollar reserves and buy Hong Kong dollars. And then that way it strengthens the Hong Kong dollar and pushes it downward in this peg. Uh, so they're tasked with that. They have to keep this within this pegged range. Of course, it's a range uh, so that there is some market movements in there. If it was just pegged at a very specific number, like we, you need to keep it at 7.85, it would be almost impossible to do that because there would be no signals from the market at all. Um, and so that, that this way, having a range in the peg uh, lets them uh, manage it better. So does that describe it? Yeah, I think so. It just, you know, hey, this is such a useful chart and we reference it so much, but uh, we don't reference it every show. So just kind of want to give a little refresher for the audience. My fellow plebs, come celebrate Bitcoin winter in Miami at Bitcoin 2023. The largest Bitcoin conference in the world returns to Miami from Miami 18th to the 20th. Head on over to b.tc forward slash conference to get your tickets today. Use promo code BMLIVE to get 10% off your tickets before prices go up. Plebs, if you're like me and want to gain a deeper understanding of what's going on within the Bitcoin market and broader macro environment, then you need to subscribe to Bitcoin Magazine Pro today. There's a free and a paid version of this daily newsletter where our market analysts Dylan LeClaire, Dr. Jeff Ross, and Sam Rule break down what's going on in the market so you don't have to. Subscribe today at BitcoinMagazinePro.com. Let's jump into some commodities because these are going to be very important when we talk about CPI. So this first one is U.S. oil, U.S. crude, WTI. And uh, I just want to show that it's having a hard time breaking above 80. I wouldn't be surprised if it did break this. But overall, what I want to show here is it's not high right now it's been trending downward. This is a weekly chart. So it's been trending downward and it, we're not getting any sort of new price pressure from oil. And that is the kind of theme that I want to build over the next few slides. So if you go to the next slide is gasoline futures, U.S. gasoline futures, very, very similar to the oil chart. But once again, there's no price pressure uh, from gasoline at this time. Yes, over the last month or six weeks or so, we have been in this little bit higher trend, but overall it's not, it's, you know, lower highs and lower lows on the gasoline futures on the weekly chart. Um, okay. Next slide. This is European uh, natural gas. And we've talked about this, of course, a lot back in 2021. We st started mentioning this. And then of course, with the invasion of Ukraine, we had the big blow off here and it went up like crazy. But you can see on this weekly chart, it has been trending downward. It hasn't returned to normal. But once again, 
there's no added price pressure right now from natural gas in Europe. The next slide is natural gas in the US and it tells the exact same story. It continues to trend downward. Chris, can we get the next slide, please? There we go. That's the US natural gas. It uh, uh, continues to trend downward just like uh, the European. Even with the opening of Freeport, Freeport, I believe it's in Houston, but it's like the biggest natural gas exporting hub in the United States. It was closed for about six months to a year, and now it has recently reopened. They think this could push domestic prices higher because, you know, we'll be exporting more LNG. Um, but so far, that hasn't had an effect on the price. And you can see it's just really low. This, this, this is basically return to normal where Europe is still somewhat elevated. But again, no price pressure higher from natural gas. Okay, next slide. Kind of taking this into the shipping. Uh, this is the Baltic Dry Index. This includes bulk goods, bulk commodities. So anything that doesn't get shipped in the 40 foot, you know, semi containers uh, would be included in the Baltic dry index. This is just price to ship that uh, around the world. And you can see this is trending downward too. So shipping costs have come back to normal, uh, back to sanity, and there is no increased price pressure to continue pushing CPI higher from shipping. Next slide is the last one, I believe. Yeah, it's the last one from all of these charts. This is Freitos, and it is the 40-foot container. So this is those, you know, the, the containers that you think of on the big ships. And you can see um, down under 2,500 returned to normal. Uh, so again, no price pressures from supply chains at this time. And that's all I have for the charts. Do you have any comments on that? I mean, I think it's striking to look at these charts in a row like this and just see how everything's trending down. Everything has fallen. And even though we have what we had in CPI, which we'll talk about here in a second, there, there isn't anything coming through like what is going to push these prices higher? So, uh, CK? Yeah, I mean it's it's really kind of just fascinating to kind of see the grind down um the the narrative right now is china's reopening is going to push things red hot but it's really interesting to see the shipping data and the shipping prices kind of indicating that you know that's not necessarily actually being priced in um but yeah i mean i don't have a, a ton of insight here it seems like things are continuing to kind of slow down in general uh even though you know, you know, it seems like a recovery is, is happening. Maybe it's more or less like a, a leveling off or a, a return back to the mean, which has been yeah. uh, kind of the uh, the analysis that we've been we've been talking through on this show for a few weeks now. Absolutely. OK, well, that's all that I have for the charts. Next is U.S. CPI. This was a big news item that came out this week. Of course, it's like a monthly seance or a monthly ritual that people go through watching waiting for cpi to drop i live stream it on my uh, on bitcoin and markets every single month so um and it came out a little bit higher than normal uh, but first i wanted to touch on some of the changes uh, people have talked about this a lot and um first i wanted to the bottom 
bullet point. I kind of put these out of order, but the bottom bullet point here is spending pattern weights adjust now every year instead of every two years. And the way they do it, you know, is they send out these surveys, they get people to respond, not only their prices, but they get uh, the prices that they pay and charge, but also their spending habits. They use those spending habits then to adjust these weights. Okay. And it used to happen every 10 years. It used to happen every 10 years. Then it started happening every five. Then a couple years ago, this was only maybe, maybe three, four years ago, they changed it to two years. So they would change, update the weights every two years. And then this year now they've changed it to every single year. So every single year they're going to update the weights of all the stuff in the CPI. I think it's kind of interesting though, because during COVID, we saw a huge shift in these spending patterns away from services and towards goods. Then we had the reopening and it's starting to shift back towards services. It's still not completely normal yet. Uh, it's still slightly weighted towards the goods sector for spending. But, um, uh, you know, these the uh, way that the CPI is adjusting, it's adjusting every year now and it will, you know, take a couple years to readjust to this. But the way they did this here is they collect it one year, then they process it the next year, and then they use it for weights on the third year. So you can see right now we are using the weights from 2021, which is kind of the peak distortion from COVID. So a lot of people were thinking that this is going to be pushing down CPI because there was some conspiracy that the people wanted to, the BLS wants to show CPI lower, but really it should, that promise to push CPI a little bit higher. Let's look at some of the individual weights that they adjusted. So the energy component dropped from 7.8% down to 6.9%. So almost a full percentage drop in the weighting for en the energy component. Shelter, however, it rose from 32.9% to 34.4%. So shelter increased by one and a half percent in the weighting. And that's important because shelter is a lagging indicator. And if it still hasn't turned down, it's continuing to go up where everything else has turned down. This is going to push CPI higher. So it's not what the people were saying that this is a way to make CPI look lower. It's actually kind of making CPI look higher. Another one here that I just picked out was used cars and trucks drops from 3.6% down to 2.6%, which for that individual component is a huge drop. It's what, like a third of its weighting, but it's only 1% drop in the overall weighting. So uh, very interesting what they are doing. Any comments on this, CK, on the, the different weights and measures here for CPI, or do you want to jump into the charts? I mean, frankly, it's all pretty much over my head, but uh, I guess if you were to have an interpretation of what's going to be the long-term effect of kind of shifting the way that these weights are done, uh, what would your best guess be? Well, making it every every year, I think makes gives it a danger that it's going to be too impacted by um, things like COVID. Okay, so COVID was a, two-year disruption in our spending habits. We're still recovering from that, but it was really centered around a two-year disruption. And if you're changing it every year, 
you can get mixed signals, I think, by changing it too often. Um, two years would have been good, or maybe even leave it at five years, um, you know, change the update or update the spending patterns every five years, something like that to make it a little bit more anchored. Um, but overall, I think this is an effort in good faith. And I'm probably a heretic in the Bitcoin space, but I think this is a good faith effort to try to really get a clear picture of what's going on with prices. And it's funny because they spend so much time on this calculation and getting the weights and measures right for CPI, but they don't just go out and try to figure out the shadow banking system and count the actual money supply. You know, they, they've given up on counting the money supply. They now what they do is they put all their effort towards these spending patterns and their weights and limits. So um, that's what I would have to say. Yeah. I mean, uh, it, it's really interesting <laughs> because fiat makes the economy so difficult to kind of make, uh, make means of make, like try to understand. Uh, yeah. I feel like there's constant adjustments to try to figure out how to get this more accurate. Um, what do you, so you think that it's a good faith effort yeah. to, to make a more accurate CPI, um, I guess, like, what do you think those conversations are like? Why do they think that uh, a one year, uh, you know, is not going to skew the data in any way? Do you think that that helped? Do they do you think that the Fed and, and the folks who are uh, who are kind of influencing these decisions uh, believe that because they're kind of reacting to these numbers that this would give them something a little bit more fine to to react against, I guess? You know, what's your yeah. last kind of final comment around like the benefits to the powers that be for making these kind of changes? Uh, the benefits to the powers that be. Well, yeah, it gives them a little bit more fine grained look at what's actually happening year to year. They kind of try to tailor the CPI to what they want to do for their policy decisions. So I can see why they might like it. But at the same time, I'm sure there's people talking at the Fed and, you know, they don't use the CPI, really. The Fed uses PCE. That's their preferred indicator, the personal consumption and expenditures index. But, um, you know, I'm sure there's people talking like, hey, some like it, some don't. Um, it can help some people depending on how technocratic they are, like if they really want the government to be in there and be controlling the economy and turning the levers, you know, adjusting the dial perfectly that they are, you know, very interventionist minded, then I think they like this. But then there's people probably like Powell, I believe Powell lands on the less in, in intervention side of the house. And so I think he might not like it so much. So that, that's what I would say about uh, the policymakers. Any thoughts on uh, Leonard Brainerd? Uh, I can't pronounce her name. Brainerd, uh, Lionel Brainerd, be uh, getting tapped by the Biden administration. Yeah, I kind of went uh, back and forth a little bit with a few people on the Telegram about this, and it. I think it's because she was passed up. You know, I, I see Powell. Well, first off, the the Fed is owned by the New York banks. That's one reason why Peter Zion's comment at the beginning was so funny because he said, oh, this will make people on Wall Street angry. Well, come on now. Powell works for the Wall Street banks. 
That's who he works for with some oversight from the federal government. But um, so I think she was passed up for chairman and they probably, she probably got the hint that she was never going to be selected because, you know, she falls on the globalist side. She falls on the Davos side, more uh, dovish and wants, is not against using the central bank for things like uh, climate change, uh, ESG stuff. So I think she was passed up and she knew that she wasn't ever going to become chairman. And so she's like, hey, what's the next best thing? Let's move over to the administration, right into the, you know, the executive branch. And maybe I can be treasury secretary someday. So I think that's, that was her thinking. All right. I have nothing to add there, but um, it's interesting to see, you know, there's clearly coalitions here and, uh, you know, we'll, we'll see, you know, which coalition is going to continue to kind of uh, get the leading edge. And thank you, Joe. Smash that like button. The best show in Bitcoin and macro right here on Bitcoin Magazine with yeah, yeah. CK and Ansel Lindner. Awesome. Okay, let's get into the, the CPI charts. First one is going to be month over month. You know, I really want to just hammer home. You got to use month over month. The year over year has moved too slowly. And if you look at this chart, see the highest point? That was June of 2022. And then what happened in July of 2022? Brick wall, right? And so if you are using the year over year number, you're not going to see this sea change in CPI. If you take out, if you look at the first half of 2022, it was you know over 10% CPI annualized. But if you take the second half of 2022, it was down at about 2% annualized. So you get a completely different picture when you look at month over month versus year over year. So I had to hammer home that you need to look, but you can see this is a little bit higher in January. How much of that is due to the recalculation of the CPI? I mean, maybe some, I don't think it would have made it negative or anything, but you know, a 10th of a percent, maybe it pushed it up higher. Next slide is the year over year. So now once we, once you look at month over month, now let's look at year over year and you can see that's obvious peaking in the CPI and it has been down ever since. And next slide, this is kind of the controversial one. So remember we talked about shelter increasing its weighting in the CPI and this is shelter only in the CPI and it's continuing to accelerate higher where if we looked at other goods in the economy, that part of the CPI is falling where shelter is continuing higher. And this is a lagging indicator. We've talked about this on the show, but the reason this is lagging is because, uh, you know, you don't sign a new lease every month. You sign a new lease and then the next year you sign another new lease. And then only then can that be registered in CPI. So this is a big time lagging indicator. Also the owner equivalent rent, that is very controversial, uh, but that's part of this shelter as well. And same thing with that. Like it's going to take a long time for those owners to uh, price in a change to the value of their house or to um, uh, the I mean, other it rents. could take it could take years. It could take. It's like yeah. you know, this is priced on a thirty-year, fifteen-year mortgage basis. Yeah, well, a lot of times what they do, or at least the thought process behind it is they will look at 
rents. So they will see how much is a similar dwelling if I rented it, how much is that going for? And so that will affect their owner equivalent rent. But yeah, like you say, it takes a long time. It could take a year or 18 months to, to price this in. So it's not a leading indicator. I'll tell you that much, right? Like a leading indicator is used cars. We saw this before, uh, during COVID, uh, you know, into 2021, first thing that took off was used cars. Then came the whole CPI. And then finally take bringing up the rear was shelter. And now it's going to be the same thing on the downside. Shelter is going to take a long time to roll over and come back down where everything else has ro rolled over and come back down. So um, I just want to point that out. And I know that's controversial because people don't like the way CPI is calculated, especially the most controversial component is this shelter component. It got more weighting in the CPI now, and it is a lagging indicator. So I just wanted to bring that up. If you go to the next slide, this is kind of a breakout of the, the table of the shelter component. And that kind of underlines some important numbers. So it did come down, shelter did come down from 0.8% month over month to 0.7% month over month. Uh, transportation services is another important one to the Fed. And it came, it accelerated from 0.6% to 0.9%, but it's still below some of these earlier readings. I, uh, on the left, I underlined uh, 1.0 and 1.9% month over month for transportation services just several months ago. So it has come down from that. Um, overall, it just kind of, you have to, when you're looking at CPI, you need to take into consideration that they changed the calculation. So maybe give it a few months to see. So for people to digest this new way of counting um, and also look at the broader economy, look at some of the commodity prices, look at some of the currencies, look at, you know, uh, the stock market and things and bonds and say, is this shaping up to be a reacceleration of inflation or prices? It doesn't look like that to me, but I'll leave that up to the viewer to decide. What do you think, CK? Uh, I don't have a whole lot to add to this. Uh, it is interesting to kind of see the individual breakdown and, you know, kind of this month over month uh, shifts. Uh, and I know you didn't highlight anything under the medical care services, but that's where it seems like there's the most amount of volatility. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Down. Uh well, went up at uh, 0 0.8, then negative, then positive, now negative again. So, yeah, definitely. Um, in, in terms of the like the rent element, you know, I, I can personally relate with an anecdote myself. You know, my lease is ending in two months uh, and I'm doing some research now with, you know, what to do next. Uh, and a big part of, you know, looking around is, is is seeing what other rents are looking like in my neighborhood and they're all down all the rents are down, you know, I can get a better, bigger place uh, for the wow. same or less nowadays. So, um, you know, I'm going to have to have a, a tough conversation with my landlord. But even with that, it's still difficult to move, right? There's mm -hmm. still inertia to move it. There's going to be the cost of me getting out. Um, there's going to be the cost of me moving all my furniture. Uh, and and how does that actually affect uh, prices? So um, it's really interesting to kind of see these economic data points and and see how resistant they are to change. Um, and honestly, for me, as someone who's, you know, in my in my early 30s now, um, 
trying to navigate the housing market is something that's ex- extremely stressful these days. Um, so I, I don't think that that's something that uh, is going to be changing anytime soon. And uh, it'll likely continue to be stressful as real estate is, you know, critical as collateral within our existing system, as well as uh, it's just sexy. It's something that people want to do as a business. They think the cash flow is easy. Uh, and and it's, it's almost like a meme. I'm bullish that Bitcoin will kind of fill that void uh, in the future as just being that kind of de facto store of value. But um, it is really, you know, interesting to kind of like live through uh, the negotiation uh, between, you know, what what housing is going to look like price wise and and how affordable it's going to be for for people. All great points. Yeah, that's very interesting from your anecdote that uh, you're seeing rents falling. So yeah, I mean, means- I also rented at the tippity top in Nashville <laughs> last June. So uh, yeah. I knew that was that was a tough move, but it had no choice, really. But still, that's a good anecdotal evidence that we're going to see that component of CPI starting to fall and come back down to normal. Just think half, they said half of this 0.5% increase was from shelter. Half. I mean, that's a huge amount. If shelter comes back down in line with everything else, which it is a lagging indicator. So we shouldn't expect everything else to catch up with, with shelter. We should expect shelter to catch down with everything else. So that is, I mean, CPI has peaked. CPI is coming back down. Um, all of this stuff kind of fits well together and comes right into being a big bull market for Bitcoin uh, starting right now and hopefully lasting the rest of the year. But the last, okay, so done with CPI unless you have anything else. Nope. Okay. We can move on. All right. So the last story we have is about the ECB. Uh, we're going to go, we're going to skip that one, Chris. We're going to go to the number 23. Thank you. So this is the ECB came out with a supervision newsletter and the headline is crypto assets, a new standard for banks. What I wanted to do was read through this a little bit and look at Basel, the new Basel tier one and tier two capital um, and kind of discuss how Bitcoin fits in with that. But let me pull this up on my own here on my side. So, Oh, that's the wrong one. Sorry, guys. One second. All right. So crypto assets are subject to significant risk and boom and bust cycles as the current crypto winter shows. First off, I went and did a control F on this page and I looked up crypto. It was used 32 times. And then I did Bitcoin and it was used once. So that just tells you their thinking here. They're trying to lump Bitcoin in with crypto. I mean, that's that's the we shouldn't be surprised by that. OK, they are not widely used in mainstream banking operations, yet the expansion of the crypto industry can also lead to crypto asset risks spilling over into the banking sector. Most banks under ECB supervision have so far largely stayed away from crypto assets, while some have explored opportunities to use DLT to increase efficiency, reduce costs and offer services to new services to clients. DLT has been used successfully for tokenized security issuance, such as the European Investment Bank's issuance of digital bonds, while other initiatives are also under development. However, if a bank 
were to acquire exposures to crypto assets, either directly or indirectly, they could face significant risks not specifically covered by the current prudential framework. Therefore, a conservative global minimum prudential framework is vital to protect, protect the banking system from these risks. The finalization of the Basel Committee on Banking Supervision, BCBS, standard on the prudential treatment of banks' crypto asset exposures, marks an important milestone in this respect. It provides a harmonized international regulatory and supervisory approach to banks' crypto asset exposures and aims to balance responsible private sector innovation with sound bank risk management and financial stability. From a European Union perspective, the Basel Banking Supervision Standard complements the forthcoming regulation of the crypto asset sector through the MICA regulation. Remember, that's Markets in Crypto Asset Regulation. As a next step, it will be key for the European Union and other Basel jurisdictions to transpose the Basel standards into their legislation by the 1 January 2025 deadline. So it, the deadline to make this law or to comply with this, well, you don't have to comply yet because the individual jurisdictions have not adopted this. It just Basel has put this out and most likely everybody will adopt the Basel standards. But um, the deadline to do that is January of 2025. That's a long way away. And what they're doing with this piece here is they're saying don't wait we haven't implemented this well let me just read the last sentence because it uh, will be very important here so the basel banking supervisory standard is not yet legally binding pending its transposition in the european union however should banks wish to engage in this market they are expected to comply with the standard and take it into account in their business and capital planning. So that's the kind of meat of this. What they do for the rest of the article is they describe group one and group two of the tier one capital as it re, re, uh, is, you know, regards to Bitcoin. And so let's see, I think I have a slide here, Chris. Sorry, I'm not, don't have the, there we go. So group one and group two, group one is, tokenized traditional assets and stable coins, not algorithmic stable coins, but, you know, centralized stable coins that are backed with real assets. Um, those are considered group one and there's no haircut or anything. You can own a lot of those. Um, group two is where we find Bitcoin and they put this under unbacked crypto assets. That's what Bitcoin consists of. And if you do that, you have to have a certain formula to calculate um, what kind of collateral you need to back that uh, that Bitcoin on your balance sheet. Now they put a bar of 1%, but it can go up to 2%. You just have to take, take further measures uh, over and above the 1%. And uh, go ahead, CK. Well, I was just gonna say what happens when Bitcoin uh, expands its percentage of your balance sheet due yes. to its own price appreciation. <laughs> Absolutely. That's what I thought about when I was reading this was like, what happens when you have 1% Bitcoin, but it goes up 10x. And now it's actually 5% of whatever, you know, like, uh, that's a pretty big deal. And they'll probably be forced to sell it.
and this this will be a pro cyclical force on the price of Bitcoin, which uh, is pretty crazy. But I think Bitcoin Magazine had an article written, and I'm going to bring that up now. Uh, this was I want to find out who it was by. Who was the author of this one? Uh, BTC Casey once again. Back from December 16th of 2022, he wrote an article about this upcoming thing. So Bitcoin Magazine is way ahead of the curve here on this. Um, but he has an interesting line in the article, and it is, the BIS had previously considered a policy of 1% for global banks. In turn, the banks requested a 5% reserve limit. So 2% appears to be a compromise between the two. So that's uh, straight from Bitcoin Magazine, BTC Casey, saying that the banks wanted more, but the governments, the government uh, central banks, they said, no, 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 we're going to cap it at two. We're going to put some restrictions on it. So very, very interesting what this what is happening over there in in Europe and the way they're trying to implement this before it's time, before the deadline. Um, any additional thoughts, CK, on this? Yeah, I mean, the these these rules and regulations, they're not going to last. I just don't think they have staying power. And because the reality of it is that none of us have to try to get on zero in terms of get on zero fiat for Bitcoin to eventually put us on zero fiat by itself. So, I mean, I think that's, that is the real key here is that Bitcoin, if you're holding Bitcoin long enough, you will you will eventually get to 95% Bitcoin just because the world is repricing in sats. So uh, it's going to be really interesting to see how these kind of rules uh, rub up against the reality of Bitcoin. Yes. And we've talked about that in Bitcoin in the past when it comes to hedge funds, because, you know, uh, hedge funds will have an allocation. Um, they'll say, oh, we want to allocate 2% or 5% to Bitcoin. And then at the end of the year, they usually rebalance. Sometimes they rebalance quarterly. I don't know exactly what all the rules are for the hedge funds, but uh, they they might re rebalance quarterly, and that will put a damper on a Bitcoin pump. Uh, it will also, at the end of the year, say that a lot of these hedge funds are rebalancing at the end of the year. It's going to put a lot of pressure on the price. So you could have a big runaway bull market, and it ends in December. Well, why? Because people are rebalancing their portfolios, getting back in line. Um, and that, that's good though, because that allows other people, new newcomers to come in, sweep up these coins that were reallocated and dumped by the hedge funds. So anyway, uh, just very interesting dynamics there. I love the incentives of Bitcoin. They're so skewed to the benefits of the plebs uh, yes. and to the detriment of the institutions and the legacy finance. Uh, and governments. Uh, it, it's really fantastic. So I know that's uh, getting close to all we have for, for the day, Ansel. Yep, yep. Uh, any, like we did two weeks ago, where will the Bitcoin oh, price be next time we meet? This might be a little bit more difficult to answer. Okay, I'm bringing up the chart here, bringing up the daily. Let's see. Um, where are we sitting at? 24,892. Next week when we meet, we're going to be higher by quite a bit, quite a bit higher. Quite a bit higher. All right. Well, get your stacks in today. Get them ASAP before uh, before next Thursday because we going up, folks. You heard it here first. All right. Thanks, CK. Also, guys, check out BitcoinAndMarkets.com to follow all my work. CK, any final Highly plugs? recommend. 
Hey, BitcoinMagazine.com, b.tc forward slash conference. Get your tickets to the Bitcoin conference. It is 91 days away, May 18th through the 20th. Use promo code BMLIVE to save 10% off. And uh, hey, we just dropped a brand new product. Uh, Bitcoin Magazine now has a little Chrome extension. So uh, you can see the Bitcoin price. You can see the block height. You can see the average SAS per byte fee. You can see the hash rate. Sats per dollar, difficulty, market cap, and quick links to the latest Bitcoin Magazine articles all from your extension without having to navigate to a new page. So I'm loving it personally. Go check out Bitcoin Magazine in the Chrome uh, extension marketplace. What is up, audio listeners? Thank you for enjoying another episode of FedWatch. Down in the show notes, you will find all the appropriate links to our social media, the original version of this podcast, and community links. Also, check out BitcoinAndMarkets.com, where I put out a free weekly newsletter every Friday. And there you can also help support the show by signing up to become a paid member. See you next time. My fellow plebs, come celebrate Bitcoin winner in Miami at Bitcoin 2023. The largest Bitcoin conference in the world returns to Miami from Miami 18th to the 20th. Head on over to b.tc forward slash conference to get your tickets today. Use promo code BMLive to get 10% off your tickets before prices go up. Magazine time, y'all. Bitcoin is for everyone, lefties, righties, and the rejectors of the false dichotomy alike. And that is why the newest Bitcoin magazine print edition is called the Orange Party Issue. It features articles by President Naib Bukele, Jeff Dice, Natalie Smolinski, Eric Kaysen, Max Kaiser, and Jimmy Song. Get your copy from the local Barnes & Noble bookstore or from the Bitcoin magazine store at bitcoinmagazine.com and use promo code BMLIVE to get 10% off your annual subscription today. Plebs, if you're like me and want to gain a deeper understanding of what's going on within the Bitcoin market and broader macro environment, then you need to subscribe to Bitcoin Magazine Pro today. There's a free and a paid version of this daily newsletter where our market analysts Dylan LeClaire, Dr. Jeff Ross, and Sam Rule break down what's going on in the market so you don't have to. Subscribe today at BitcoinMagazinePro.com.